From WXXI News, this is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. We have a lot to talk about this hour, and we're always looking forward to this Friday, the third Friday of the month, bring to the first hour is Unleash the Pet Show. We're going to be talking about issues related to your pets and questions that you have. We'll be taking your phone calls, your tweets as well with our guest for the hour. In studio joining me is Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital in Pittsburgh. It's really in Menden, isn't it, Dr. Yeah, Brooker? Yeah, it's in Menden. It's in Menden. Right, right near Menden Ponds Park. Oh, very good. Well, thanks for being here and uh, looking forward to a conversation with you for the hour as well as our listeners. But before we get there, just a brief hello from my colleague Michelle Faust as we get ready to wrap up last day of Pledge. It is the last day of Pledge Drive, so if you have not called, uh, we're hoping to hear from you today. And you can also make a pledge online at WXXI org slash give. The number to call is 454-6300 to make your pledge of support to WXXI. Now you're listening to this program and um, if you haven't called in yet, it, it definitely is your turn. And if you uh, pledge $5 a month as a su- sustainer, you can get a tote bag. And that is much less than the monthly cost of pet food. So I highly recommend it. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle Faust. Uh, it is 454-6300 right now. If you're a regular listener to Connections and you're not a member, this is a really important day for us. We're wrapping up Pledge, and it would mean a lot to me and the station and to your community, by the way. Your community depends on you to step up and support as well. It's 454-6300. Now, with that out of the way, let me give you a different number. If you want to call the program and with a question or a comment about your pet Uh, Anything you really want to talk about with Dr. Meg Brooker, it is 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI, 263-9994. How long has Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital been there in Menden? Canfield Vet's been open for about uh, 15, 20 years, 20 years now. Okay. And you've been there for how long? 15 years. About 15 years now? Okay. And just dogs and cats, but in your own practice... Did you tell me that you have had somebody coming through your door with a baby bear? <laughs> when I had my practice up in Old Forge, New York, I had a small animal practice. And when you're the only vet for 60 miles around, <laughs> you have to see everything that comes in. And um, uh, a, a local resident uh, found a baby black bear that was hit by a car oh. and left it, knowing that the, hoping that the mother would come back and get it. And she didn't, brought it in. We, I called um, the zoo here in Rochester and talked to the veterinarian, Dr. Jeff White. This is going back 20 years ago. And he said, just treat it like a dog. And so we treated it and <laughs> uh, found a wildlife rehabber. And wow. he woke up and did great and did great. So. Wow. And, and, these are the stories that I think we all wonder if you handle wildlife, does that, you know, I always hear, you know, you don't want to touch a deer or those kind of things because I don't know if it's scent related and they're marked based on their peers in the wild. I, I don't know how that works. But right. was that You're not concern? supposed to touch any wildlife. I yeah. mean, when I was up there, and of course there was such much more an abundance of wildlife, people would find, you know, injured deer, injured this, injured that. I think I had a, a owl at another practice. But again, you're supposed to contact authorities right away when you're dealing with especially uh, a bird of prey mm-hmm. and let them know, give, get permission to treat it. And then once it's treated, you pass it on to people that are authorized to house and rehab yeah. wildlife. 
So I don't see any of that at Canfield at all. There's people that, that do that stuff more regularly. Just dogs and cats for Dr. Meg Brooker out at Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital in Menden. And I know uh, Halloween is coming up here. This is a time of year. There's, there's two very specific food questions I have. There's sure. cause There's two events going on. First of all, Halloween's coming up. And second of all, for our friends down in the Finger Lakes, if you're listening on WEOS, you know that all around you, it's harvest season, especially for winemakers. And so I want to start there. Grapes and dogs. I've heard for years grapes are, can be a problem for dogs. I've got friends who own a winery. They've got two big poodles, and they're always, we're always wondering about grapes and dogs. Grapes are toxic for dogs. The, the difficulty is not knowing how many grapes per dog is toxic. Um, I have, this kind of came out, I don't know, five, ten years ago, and people would start saying, are you kidding me? I, I give my dogs grapes for a snack, and I've never had a problem. Yet there's been very serious cases of dogs going to the emergency clinic here in Rochester with serious toxicity. So in general, we just say no grapes, no raisins, no wine, and, um, and those related products. But it's difficult because it just, in the realm of when we're telling people to give your dogs fruits and vegetables, got to be very specific about not giving them grapes. Is there a risk to thinking, well, my dog's a bigger dog. My dog's 60, 80, 100 pounds. Therefore, those kind of toxic foods won't have as much of an impact. That's absolutely true. In most cases of toxicities, poisons are going to be, you know, size-related, dose-related. But, um, again, grapes are one of those strange things that um, a couple grapes have gotten some big dogs pretty sick. So uh, it's absolutely, you can be a little bit, you know, more reassured that your 100-pound dog, one grape is probably okay. But, obviously, it's better to just say absolutely no grapes. Even really good Riesling wine grapes. I, those The dogs should not be eating those. Those should be reserved for making wine. I agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree more on that point. It's 844-295-TALK if you want to join the conversation. Um, I'll, I'll take our first call and because and then we're going to move into the second question, which is related to, to various Halloween foods and whether the whole chocolate thing is, is more of a myth or a reality. But before we get there, let me grab Lisa in Penfield, who's called the program. Go ahead, Lisa. Uh, yes, hello. Thank you. I have um, I have two five-year-old chihuahuas, and they're brother and sister. And unfortunately, they're little terrors, and it's very difficult um, to even bring people over because they bark mm. at everything and everyone all the time, and like it's it's just very like disconcerting. And it may have been because they weren't very well socialized. I didn't have a lot of people around when they were little. Um, but I don't really know what to do with them because, you know, they'll bark even if somebody's if somebody that they have met before initially. They'll just bark and bark and bark. And they're five years old? They're five. All right. Is it hopeless, Dr. Brooker? Oh, boy. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> Thanks for calling. So did you get these? Are these two siblings? Did they you, are siblings. And you got them both as puppies, so you, they were raised together, obviously. Right. So this is kind of a, this is definitely a behavior question, and you're probably best, um, we'd refer you to a good uh, behaviorist in, in the area trainer to help you train these guys. When you have double, um, it, it can be a little bit more difficult. And, and puppies raised together, while it's great that they have each other, they can kind of learn and feed off each other's bad habits. And they're harder for the owner to train because they're just not paying attention to you. 
So with that said, again, we're, you know, we have a list of, of trainers in the area. You can look that up online, um, call your veterinarian. I'm sure they've got a list of, of trainers in the area as well to help you work with these dogs so that they start listening to you and that they can't bark without listening to you or they can bark. But then when you say, okay, enough, that they're going to stop um, and, and hopefully have a better relationship. So you can have people over. That's just that's just not the way it's supposed to be when you have dogs. And, right. Uh, you want to exactly. have people over. They're, yeah. yeah. Terrible. I even tried, like, bringing, you know, like, getting a little water sprayer. And right. that'll shut them up for, like, maybe a short period of time. But right, right. But sometimes we'll just keep barking. Like, even if my boyfriend, like, goes upstairs, anytime he goes upstairs or moves the gate or anything, they start barking. Right. It sounds like they think the house is theirs and, and they're kind of taking over control of the house. And so it, it can be fixed, though, with, with good training. It sounds like you need a trainer to help guide you in obedience training. Um, you know, a lot of trainers today are working with positive reinforcement, uh, so we don't have to use so much negative things like shock collars and things like that. But again, you need to get a trainer. Make sure you're comfortable with the trainer and ask them what is their plan and how are they going to um, help train these dogs and uh, and come up with a plan so that you can say, okay, boys or girls, now it's time to go sit over there in the corner while I have people over. And that's okay. That's okay. It's supposed to be a good relationship with the dog well, that good, you yeah, can have people over. Good luck, Lisa, with that. I would, I would say that brings to, up to mind two things for me. First of all, in general, do you tell people there is kind of a cutoff age that, that adult animals are sort of untrainable? It sounds like you can still work to curb Absolutely not, no. They can all be trained, yeah. I mean, a lot of our dogs, I've ha- I always say to people, look, I've had dogs that made me think I was a good trainer, and I realized they're just good dogs, and they were just easy <laughs> to train. And I always call my two current dogs incorrigible, and um, I mean, but I could put more time into training them, and they'd be better okay. responsive. So don't Absolutely. give up on adult dogs. Never, Don't yeah. give up on adult dogs. Absolutely. And and I think of another person I know with two chihuahuas, Pancho and Coco, Norma Holland's <laughs> dogs. And Norma, I, we used to go over there, and they used to have to put them in the basement. Like, those dogs were could not be allowed. But now... Well, at least Coco can come out. I don't know about Pancho. Norma, That's... call us and tell us how Pancho is doing. And if you want to call the program with more questions uh, during Unleashed the Pet Show here on Connections, Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital in Menden is with us for the hour. It's 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255 or 263-WXXI, 263-9994. We're a couple weeks away from Halloween, and, and this is a time where there's going to be a lot of food laying around. My mother-in-law used to have a, a German Shepherd lab mix, and they kept a list of all the things the dog ate. <laughs> I mean, he ate, on that list was bizarre things, like he ate a small razor blade, he ate uh, Coke bottles, uh, and so I don't really know how he was a tank of a dog, uh, but he would eat anything lying around, and I know some dogs do. What is the biggest concern? Is it chocolate? Is chocolate the the concern that we always thought it was growing chocolate up? Chocolate is definitely uh, a concern. The, the, the thing that people get lax about is that chocolate, like in a Reese's cup, there's just not that much chocolate in there. Milk chocolate doesn't have much of the actual chocolate ingredients in it. So the more milk it is, and of course the more there's peanut butter or things like that, it's just less toxic for a dog. Um, however, with the nowadays we have a lot more dark chocolates and dark chocolate bars and dark chocolate candy laying around. And in a small dog, one piece can be very toxic. Um, for example, a Tootsie Roll just doesn't have much chocolate in it. Now, what we said before about dose-dependent and size-dependent, we have just calculators for chocolate toxicity. You can actually put in the dog's weight, the amount of chocolate they probably ate, 
and um, the kind of chocolate. So we classify milk chocolate, dark chocolate, medium chocolate. And you can actually figure out what their toxicity is. Now, the first stage will just be vomiting and diarrhea. And that's not fun, but at least they're probably going to be fine. The second stage might be that the caffeine in the chocolate is could start a, a, a fast heart rate, tachycardia, and that can be a problem. And then you can have seizures. So an owner might call in and know exactly how much the dog ate. We might say drop the dog off. We'll make them throw, them up, throw up if mm-hmm. it was in the last couple of hours, and that can help. Um, although at times we might say a whole your dog ate a very toxic dose, go to emergency now where they can make the dog throw up, give them charcoal to s- decrease the absorption oh, okay. of the chocolate, and then keep an eye on them in case he starts with seizures and stuff like that. You have seen it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the darker the chocolate, generally, the more concern you would have. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, really good advice from Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital. Let's get a short break in, and we're going to come back with more of your phone calls for Dr. Brooker. We're also going to be uh, exploring a couple of different stories, including going out to Lollipop Farm, where there may be some animals waiting for you out there this month. It's Unleash the Pet Show right here on Connections. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge, naturalpetfoodscompany.com. All right, uh, let, let's do this. Let's go ahead and, and get right back to the phones here. We'll get a couple of phone calls in uh, because we've had a couple of folks waiting. And again, if you want to call the program right here on Unleash the Pet Show, it's 844-295-TALK. We're going to go to Karen in Brighton next. Go ahead, Karen. You're on with Dr. Meg Brooker. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, tomorrow I'm going to be uh, bringing home a seven-week-old mini cockapoo. And I'm wondering about the first night. Um, I'm planning on... I've read Mother Knows Boston, Good Dogs, Great Dogs, um, Good Companions. Um, there seems to be a little difference of opinion as to what I should do. I'm going to take the dog out at 11 a.m., 11 p.m. for a final um, um, hurry up. And then at 6 a.m. I'm planning on doing the same thing. Um, if the dog wakes up in the middle of the night, he's going to be sleeping in a crate next to our bed. If he wakes up in the middle of the night, um, should I immediately take him out, or should I wait to see if he settles? Um, and how long, if I should wait, how long should I wait that first night? Um, Karen, congratulations on your new puppy. That sounds great. Um, so you're getting the puppy today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'll pick him so, up at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. So are you most concerned about the evening and the nighttime? I'm, I'm, I'm planning on, during the day, I'm planning on starting walking um, going out routinely every couple of hours at 6 a.m., and then the last going out would be 11 p.m. But between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m., um, some of the books recommend um, it's a little cockapoo, seven weeks old. Some recommend um, picking him up and taking him out um, because um, to urinate or whatever he needs to do outside. And other books say just leave him in his crate overnight. Right. And, and, and the truth is, Karen, is, is there's going to be a ton of opinions out there. If you lined up 10 trainers on behaviors, they're all going to give you different opinions. What I generally tell people is that 
you know, you're going to put the puppy in the crate, and it sounds like you've done a ton of research, so I give you a lot of credit in all your reading and everything. I personally would, you know, I like that the puppy's next to your bed because I think that gives them comfort. Um, I would put them in the crate at 11. I always say your last walk, hopefully the last pee, and you've gotten the last poop out of them. You probably haven't given them water since maybe 8 o'clock, so that helps them hold their urine overnight. Put them in the crate at 11 and see how they do. I, I'm not an advocate of waking a puppy up and take, making taking them to go out. See what they do. You'd be surprised. There are some puppies who so have two issues. How long can they hold the urine, okay, or the poop? Um, and two, do they like the crate? So some puppies, um, uh, breeders have put them in a crate, and they're used to it. Yeah, this puppy is used to being in the crate. Great. But so, my question is, I'm, I would never wake up a sleeping dog. Okay. But if he were, if if she were to wake up in the middle of the night and continue whining for uh, ten minutes or so, should I get up and? Oh, take her I would outside? take him out at that age. You're going to take him right out. Okay. You're going to give the next two weeks, you're just going to wing it. Okay. And, and you're just going to take them out. And then, uh, you know, my clients will just call me back and say, okay, now they're getting up three times a night. I go, okay, now let's try and let them cry it out a little bit. Okay. Um, but, you know, a small, tiny puppy like that is going to have to go out twice a night for at least a couple weeks. Okay. And, uh, and if it's more than that, give your vet a call and, uh, and we'll help try and work it out. In the middle of the night, if I take them um, out to a different, like I wanted to t- just take them outside the door instead of all the way back to the spot where I would normally be taking him during the day, is that going to be uh, a problem? That's a or good should I take question. Him all the way back to where he would normally be taken. You probably should take him back to where he's going to take because puppies, and then eventually, obviously, when they're grown up as dogs, have substrate um, preferences. If you don't mind that the puppy's going to pee outside the door, then go right there. But if you're really trying to get them to pee somewhere in the yard, then you kind of should go all the way back there. It's a great idea. Well, good luck to you and uh, uh, Karen. And we had a caller off air who just wanted to call and recommend a book for, uh, for for Karen that might help. The book is Life Skills for Puppies by Helen Zulch and Daniel Mills. I don't know if you know it. Don't know it? I don't know that book. Uh, well, uh, one caller recommends it, so there, there's a, a possible option. If you're waiting on the phones to talk to, get to, uh, to, talk to Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital, we're going to get to your phone calls in just a second coming up. But I want to tell you about something else that's going on. You know, sometimes people are reluctant to adopt a shelter animal because of a few common myths. They're aggressive, they're unhealthy, or they're too old. But in reality, the reason most of them wind up in a shelter is because they were given up by their owners for reasons that don't have anything to do with an animal. So WXXI's Gene Fisher introduces us to some of the wonderful dogs at Lollipop Farm who do need forever homes. This is Snickers. She's 14 years old and waiting to be adopted at Lollipop Farm. It's hard to believe she's not a puppy as she runs through the outdoor play area, chasing a toy and playing keep away. What do you think, Snickers Noodles? Yeah. Oh, good girl. October is Adopt-A-Dog Month, an observance that started in 1981 by the American Humane Association to help shelter and rescue animals find safe, loving homes. Lollipop Farm celebrates every year with awareness-raising events and by offering discounts on spaying and neutering this month. The reduced fees also include vaccinations, veterinary exams, microchip and registration, and behavior and training assistance. At Lollipop Farm, the adoption process is a two-way experience. Jillian Hargrave is vice president and chief operating officer. It's actually fairly simple. We have some tremendous adoption counselors who are very knowledgeable, and our customers come in and talk to them about 
what they're interested in. We do have them fill out a questionnaire, which just helps us help them. Our adoption process is really a collaboration between us and the knowledge that we have of the animals and, you know, an adopter who's looking for a specific thing, who has a particular lifestyle, and we, we help them make that match. Lollipop Farm's main location in Fairport houses cats, dogs, rabbits, and birds, along with horses, pigs, and other farm animals. In the dog facility, Lollipop President Alice Calabrese introduces me to one of the newest residents. Shirley is, she's a young terrier mix. She's three years old, and she came to us uh, recently from the city of Rochester. She was left abandoned out in a, a yard and had no food, no shelter, no water. So she was spayed, and we put her up for adoption. <laughs> Who's that? This is Jean. Come here. Shirley is a gentle, friendly dog who's been nursed back to health by the veterinary staff. She's gotten a lot of attention from the volunteers and staff since she was found by humane law enforcement officers. In fact, Shirley was adopted just a couple of days after I met her. Lollipop staff and clients say that adopting a shelter dog is a rewarding experience for the adopter, and some people give a home to several animals at a time. Dean O'Kay is the afternoon drive DJ on Fickle 93.3. He and his wife started opening their home to rescued animals about 10 years ago. I've been working, doing stuff with Lollipop Farm for a long, long time, and we were watching Katrina on TV. There was a story on one of the networks talking about the displaced pets, the dogs and stuff that uh, they couldn't find their owners. And so <laughs> my wife's like, I want a Katrina dog. And I'm like, I'll call Alice. So I call up Alice Calbreeze and I said, Alice, you got any Katrina dogs? <laughs> and she goes, no, but we have plenty of dogs <laughs> and you could make room for a Katrina dog in case they need our help. So that's how it started. When he brought home the first dog from Lollipop, Dino says Polly instantly became a member of the family. At the time, the home we were living in, my mother-in-law was sick. She had a form of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. So she was kind of like bedridden, and Polly just really cuddled up to her. He was always there, and, she, and you could tell it just made her laugh. And even though she couldn't communicate very well at the time, uh, you could just tell that she loved having, having Polly next to her, and, that, and you know, that just translated into my wife loving Polly even more. Dino's family currently includes four dogs and a cat, most of them from Lollipop Farm. He says dogs that go through the shelter system, such as Lollipop or Verona Street, are thoroughly checked out for health and behavior issues and are neutered and spayed before being offered for adoption into a new home. Lollipop Farm has been celebrating the human-animal connection for over 140 years with community outreach and special adoption programs. As a partner in the Pets for Patriots program, Lollipop makes adoption fees more accessible to veterans, wounded warriors, and service families of all armed forces. Research shows that having a pet in the home has many positive health and emotional benefits, and Alice Calabrese says that adopting an older pet saves the life of a homeless shelter animal. Many of them have had owners that have passed away and nobody to take them. But just being old um, doesn't make them 
uh, a bad adoption candidate. Some families with young children may be hesitant to adopt an older pet who may not have much time left, but Jillian Hargrave says that many times senior citizens offer an ideal home for senior dogs. Our Senior for Senior program is where we will adopt any animal over the age of six to a senior citizen over the age of 60 at no charge. Then we think that specifically matching up senior dogs with senior citizens gives a second chance to our older animals and for some seniors, particularly those that are perhaps by themselves, you know, gives them something good to do every day, take the dog for a walk and get out and they have a friend. And, you know, pets give people purpose. They're huge benefits. So Snickers, the 14-year-old we met earlier, is a senior dog. She's a pit bull terrier mix whose owner could no longer care for her. The breed name Pitbull is a little confusing. It actually includes a lot of different breeds, the American Pitbull Terrier, the Staffordshire Terrier, the Bulldog, and the Bull Terrier. They are no more dangerous than any other breed when they're raised in a loving environment like Snickers. She's a bit shy at first, but warms up quickly. She has one blue eye and one brown eye and a brindle coat with white trim. She has a lot of energy, and she loves the volunteers and staff who play with her every day. That's good girl. So Snickers is available for the Seniors for Seniors Adoption Program. Anyone 60 years of age or older who would like to adopt her can do so for free. Come here, Snickers. Come here, Snickers. Oh, there's such good smells out here. Dino Kay says he hopes people will think about all the good reasons to adopt a shelter dog during Adopt-A-Dog Month or any time. It's the famous line from the Dr. Doolittle movie. You can't save them all, Hasselhoff. But, I mean, there's a need, and they deserve a home. They didn't, they didn't end up where they ended up because of their doing. So that's why everybody should spay and neuter. And if I could take in more, we absolutely would. But you know, we're at the maximum load right now. <laughs> so when you walk in the door, you get nothing but love. And I get a lot of love. I get a couple hundred pounds of love hitting me right in the chest when I walk in. <laughs> That's Dino K talking to Gene Fisher. Wonderful stuff from Gene there and uh, the folks out at Lollipop Farm. Our thanks uh, on that score. And we should also tell you that... There's a picture of Snickers on the Facebook page for Unleashed. Unleashed the Pet Show on Facebook. You can find us there and join the conversation there, see the picture of Snickers. I kind of regret, Dr. Brooker, my, when, my, when my wife's grandmother was dying, um, we kind of regret not getting a senior dog. She, her grandmother kept saying, no, I don't want to. But I've seen amazing things happen the way people react to animals, and I wish we would have done that. Uh, our, the producer of this program, Megan Mack, has a, a, a therapy dog uh, and just sees this kind of reaction from our, our older friends and neighbors just about every week. I imagine you've seen it as well. Yeah, it, the senior dogs are wonderful. The, the seniors having dogs are wonderful. It, it, like Jillian Hargrave said on the, on the uh, lollipop segment, it gives them a purpose and it gives them a friend, a companion, something to do, something to get them out of the house. It really is nice, but there is a fine line between sometimes if the if the health care is wrong or the match is wrong, mm-hmm. the pet needs more exercise than the person can give, then you can actually get a stressful situation that may not be the best. Before I jump back to the phones here, 
What do you make of, of some of the stereotyping people have regarding the term pit and pit bull? Jean Fisher in the piece mentioned the pit there and, and Snickers and her so, stuff. Yeah, absolutely agree with Jean. I mean, the tough thing is, is they've have such a bad rap. Um, it's really the original American Staffordshire Terry, which is a wonderful dog. Um, a lot of these dogs are good. It's often where they came from and how they were raised and uh, or lack of human interaction and those kinds of things that make them quote unquote a bad dog. Sure. It's too bad. And I guess it's 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 not hard to understand that if you were gonna try to weaponize a dog, you're gonna choose a dog with a strong jaw and sure. uh, kind that of were a bred for tone. guard yeah. dog and that kind yeah. of stuff, absolutely. Yeah. Let me get back to the phones and uh, Joan is next up. Go ahead, Joan. Yes, hi. Um, I've got a question about cataracts, but I just want to let you know that uh, my last three dogs were rescued, two from Lollipop and one from Rhinebeck, New York, and they actually were better dogs than the ones I purchased <laughs> earlier previously. So I encourage everybody definitely to look at uh, adopting yeah. dogs instead yeah. of uh, going to a breeder. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and Joan, I know, I know you had a question about, uh, is it cataracts with your dog? Yeah, yeah, I have a 16-year-old Jack Russell, oh, and other than surgery, which I've looked into, but I don't know because of his age, and it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a good idea, and it's very, very expensive. Is there any, I know they advertise supplements, is there any truth to those working at all, or... Hi, Joan. So what uh, your 16-year-old Jack Russell has, cataracts, is diagnosed by your veterinarian? Or have you been yeah, to the ophthalmologist? Yeah, I went to the specialist. And, uh, you did see the ophthalmologist there. here in town? Yes. And so if these are the very dense white cataracts, not not the aging cataracts, correct, Joan? I, I think so. He just said cataracts, and, he, you know, he could do a surgery, but, you know, it's $4,000. And then right. the age in my Jack Russell also has a murmur, heart murmur. Right. My regular vet didn't really recommend it. These are all difficult decisions. Uh, you know, there is no other supplement or anything that's going to take those cataracts away except surgery. Um, Dr. Bergeser, who you saw at Veterinary Specialist, is wonderful, and, um, and uh, he sees a lot of our patients. But, again, there really isn't anything other than surgery that's going to take those cataracts away, assuming these are the dense kind of cataracts that are pro prohibiting his vision. Right. So, yeah, it's a tough question. Yeah, yeah, no, those are very tough. 16-year-old dog with a murmur, I, you know. No one's got that crystal ball right. knowing how long the Jack Russell is going to live. Yeah. So I'm sorry I don't right. have any easy and answers. And I didn't think to ask him that question. That's why I thought I'd ask you. I, it was a long shot, I know, but I thought well, I yeah. wanted to ask. That's okay. No problem. Joan, good luck, good luck to you. And, and boy, those, those scenarios are so tough, aren't they, Doctor? They're so hard. I mean, nobody wants to say, I'm not going to do, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a surgery done. They can be expensive. Right. And, um, we deal with this all the time, trying to make decisions on a pet, yeah. whether it's cancer or something like cataracts. How long is the pet going to live? No one knows. Is the procedure going to work? Um, you know, you can have statistics on that, but very difficult decisions. Listeners, if you want to call the program, we've got Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital and Menden in studio for the hour right here on Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. And the number to call is 844-295-TALK. Toll free, 844-295-8255. Or if you're right here in Rochester, it's 585 263-WXXI, 263-9994. Uh, a listener online 
sent me a question that I meant to ask you earlier. We have such astute listeners. We were talking about <laughs> we were talking about Halloween candy. I focused on the chocolate. They said anything else to be concerned about. I wanted to ask you about gum, but but first of all, let's just answer the listener's question. Beyond chocolate, when it comes to eating candy, especially for dogs, I don't think cats are probably going to go through your Halloween candy. Dogs probably yes. So so what Yeah, I, I agree. You? I don't think cats are going to go through the Halloween candy as much, although you can't uh, rule that out. Dogs, I mean, so the, one of the problems other than chocolate is just over-ingestion of a lot of sweets, again, causing vomiting, diarrhea, if they ingest all the wrappers. Um, which you've probably seen. Which we've seen. Oh, yeah. um, if they can poop it out, that's okay. But sometimes it gets stuck. Again, yeah. the size of the dog. I mean, you've got a golden retriever eating um, a basket full of candy versus a little Shih Tzu eating a lot of candy. That's a different ball game. And again, it's not you don't have a toxicity there, but now you have what we call dietary indiscretion, and they can get pretty sick as well. Um, things like lollipops with the sticks, very dangerous. So all those blow pops that they receive, I mean, that can be a real problem. Um, and then, of course, gum. Okay, so gum, why? So gum, um, since the advent of, of sugar substitutes... So you've got the old juicy fruit and all those kind of gums that are sugar, and that's fine. Dogs shouldn't be eating gum anyways, but the new xylitol, it's not new, but a xylitol sugar substitute is very, very toxic for dogs. Um, and the problem is, is that every different brand of gum has different quantities of the xylitol in it. And then some of them don't even have xylitol. Some of them have sorbitol, S-O-R-B-I-T-O-L, which is not toxic. So that's okay. So it's excruciating to look at every single gum when I'm walking through the line. I'll check everything out and try and get an awareness of which ones have xylitol as the first ingredient. So when xylitol is the first ingredient, there's more xylitol in there than if it's the third ingredient. And this is also dose dependent. So if you have a 10-pound dog who eats a piece of gum, we're talking this could be life-threatening. So there's, again, different stages of toxicity. The first stage would be dropping the blood sugar. And if your blood sugar, uh, your blood glucose level goes too low, you can have seizures. And then what typically would happen is you would stay in an animal hospital, uh, preferably emergency, because they're so equipped there, on fluids and sugar supplements in the fluids to keep your sugar at a good level while the body gets rid of the toxin. But the next level of toxicity is liver failure. So this is very, very, very serious. Um, I know it's that one um, uh, tube of gum, I think icebreakers, that has a really high level of xylitol. And the, typically the stories I hear over and over, the kids have a whole box of the gum in their backpack. The dog rifles through the backpack and gets it. And that's a real problem. And the problem is that they don't know it. Yeah. How quickly can that be? Oh, very quickly. Like within hours? Yes, within hours. Okay. So if you find your dog has eaten gum. Call your vet right away. If we're not open, you need to call emergency. We have a wonderful emergency clinic here in Rochester. And and while you're doing that, check the label. If you see xylitol anywhere on the label, but especially early in the ingredient list. Right. And dogs will root out. We, yeah, they'll look for the gum. We're going to get back to your phone calls for Dr. Meg Brooker coming up here. Short break and much more with you right here on Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. Coming up in our second hour, it's Second Opinion Live. It's a follow-up to last night's Teaching America CPR on WXXI-TV from Second Opinion. So if you have any questions or follow-ups about CPR, this is your chance to ask. We'll also look at CPR in our schools. That's all next hour on Second Opinion Live.
Major funding for Unleashed the Pet Show on Connections comes from Rufus Kendig, the Richard T. Bell Foundation, and from the Lilliputian Foundation. Little grants making a big difference. Welcome back to Connections. I'm Evan Dawson. Unleash the Pet Show is the third Friday of every month, first hour, and we're glad to be doing that for you. Again, we're answering your call for more information about the animals that we love in our lives. So, um, so we've got Dr. Meg Brooker from Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital with us, and let's uh, t- grab a phone call. It's Rebecca on line one. Go ahead, Rebecca. Hey, Evan. This is Rebecca. Good to talk to you. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I have three cats, two senior females, and one young male, probably two and a half. And he is a pig, and he is overweight, and I don't know how to balance the feeding so that the females get what they need, and we can try and get him to lose some weight. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> um, that's great that you have three cats. Do they all get along? Um, he annoys the senior. Of female. course he does, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But for the most part, they're okay, I'm sure. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's not violent or, yeah. or anything. So how to feed cats. This is a huge topic nowadays, Rebecca. Um, things are shifting from feeding dry food to feeding canned food and this kind of thing. So let me just ask you a couple questions. What do you feed them sure. now? So we feed them um, moist food, and they share a can in the morning, and they share a can at night. And in between, we might do, like, one scoop of dry, and water is out throughout the day. So you kind of put the can out, and they just kind of share it, like you said. They, there's no... Well, I, yeah, we scoop it into three bowls. He eats in one room, and the other two eat in the other room. And then inevitably, he'll go and check and see if they finish theirs, and he'll be the, you know, the family cleaner. Right. So the biggest problem is that is he sedentary? Is he is that he wants to eat their food? Is he he's not budging them out of their food? Is he? No, no. We've we've gotten him to not. You know, at first he was a little aggressive when he was younger, and um, but we kind of you know got him to. We would watch, and he knew he couldn't go there until they walked away. Right. So it's good that you feed him in a separate room. And and again, uh, kudos to you for feeding more moist food than can, than dry food. It really is better for cats. Um, there tends mm-hmm. to be more meat in canned food and more moisture, so it's good for them. So the overweight issue, is that the biggest problem? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm just concerned about the health ramifications. Sure, absolutely. So cats, you know, for overweight, <clears throat> you you can't really get a cat to exercise more, and that may not even no, be part of No, we tried to take them for walks, and it was... <laughs> good, yeah. <laughs> no, you, it's really difficult. And that actually, some people believe that may not even be part of the equation. It's really about... The um, what they eat. So this is the cat that you probably want to feed him canned only. And <clears throat> some people say any canned is probably better than any dry because dry has carbohydrates in it, and cats are obligate carnivores. So you probably want to feed a really good quality can to him that probably the first four or five ingredients are meat, okay, and really don't have don't get ones that say you know added rice and peas because they don't need that. Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to eat that. Right. And feed him a prescribed amount every day. So probably no dry for him, and canned only. And we've seen a lot of cats lose weight on a canned only diet, almost like the, as much as they want to eat, but not quite. Mm-hmm. I, I, so hold that in. Okay, so if I can put out dry for him, 
but I really can't put out drives for any of them. Well, until you're I have right. access to it. Yeah. So environmentally, it's going to be difficult. You're, you may have to put him in a room if you really have to give the other cats their dry and just well, let just him have maybe it. Maybe we can try taking away the dry, but I'm not going to just... The other cats should still get enough to eat if we go to wet only. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, when kittens come in nowadays, we're trying to get the owners mm-hmm. to feed wet only, mm-hmm. like 95% mm-hmm. wet only. It's just it's a hard thing to encourage someone to do who's got a 10-year-old cat that's eaten dry their whole life. So, yeah, well, um, we actually only recently switched because of the vet. I had a fourth cat who was 16, and she had teeth problems, and we actually recently had to put her down because we think she has some mouth cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. But, oh, thank you. Um, but we switched to moist twice a day because of her, yeah. and then, you know, and then the benefits that it had for the others as Great. well. Great, yeah. Well, good luck uh, on, on that, Rebecca, and... You know, as we've talked about in this program in the past, cats don't almost, almost never tell you when they're in pain unless it's really, really bad. So um, eating dry food when you've got dental problems can be painful, but they're not going to tell you that. So, all right, uh, let, let's shift gears just a little bit here with a question for you. Um, do you have a dog who hides in the basement every 4th of July or maybe cowers or is skittish around other dogs or, or really other people? Certified professional dog trainer Debbie Jacobs specializes in helping fearful dogs. She's written blogs and books about the subject and has a seminar in Rochester later this month. And Debbie spoke recently to our own Beth Adams. What do you mean when you talk about a fearful dog? And can a fearful dog be mistaken for another type of behavior? That is such a good question, actually, because when we use terms like fearful, what we are actually describing is the dog's behavior. They may cower, run away, hide under the bed. Uh, Those are people very clearly say, oh, that dog is afraid. But your second question, which is also a great question, which is there are other behaviors that may not clearly jump out at us as based in fear, such as looking aggressive, behaving in an aggressive way, growling, snarling, snapping. All of these behaviors that are often scary to us are frequently based in fear. One of the things that we know, if we want to start getting a little bit geeky about brains, is that fear and aggression are both very closely related as far as where they happen in the brain. Fear is something that we can use to predict that a dog might behave aggressively. They don't all, but we can, we can predict that a fearful dog might very likely behave in an aggressive way. So that when we see that aggression, that's something that we should uh, almost assume that the dog is afraid. And so vary our response. We need to make sure that we respond in a way that is not likely to increase their fear. Because if we increase their fear by approaching them, grabbing them, hitting them, yelling at them, threatening them, there's a good chance we're going to exaggerate, increase that fear, and the behavior that we're seeing, the growling, the snarling, the snapping, is likely to increase as well. All right, well, let's walk through some typical scenarios where a dog might be demonstrating this behavior and how people, what they can do to try to help the dog through this fear. Great. So a dog who uh, growls when children touch them, 
for example. Hide, try to run away from men with hats and beards. Don't like it when growl at you when you go to reach for their food. All of these are behaviors that I would assume are based in fear. The first thing that we have to do with a dog is we want to put them in a situation in which they feel safe. We want to end whatever is setting them up to behave the way that they're behaving. Do whatever you need to do. Don't let the kids touch him. Don't let the man with the hat and beard come over and, and try to feed him a cookie. Anything that makes the dog feel afraid, we, we want to minimize that. Among the things that we do to help facilitate them feeling safe, especially for those dogs who display these kind of behaviors chronically, folks want to talk to a vet about uh, medications. I'm not a vet. I'm not saying that people should run out and put their dogs on drugs, but many of these responses need to be addressed and can be addressed uh, through the use of behavioral medications. And the reason I encourage people to start thinking about it is because the failure to do it is like the failure to address, say, a dog who has an infection in their toe. You know, we can spend a week or two weeks or a month seeing whether or not their body rallies and they could fight the infection on their own. If they can't, by the time we go to the vet and we say, hey, look, my dog's got this infection, the infection may have spread and we might lose the toe, we might lose the foot. The vet might have said, look, if he'd come a month ago, we could have handled it. But the disease has progressed. And that's one of the things about fear and, and fear-based challenges is they can get worse. They frequently get worse if we don't treat them. It's tempting when we see a dog who is cowering in fear, uh, whatever it is that sets them off, to say, oh, that poor dog must have been abused by somebody. Is that always the case, or are there dogs who are simply fearful by nature? Is there always a reason behind it? Uh, it's a great, great question. The, the first answer is, yes, there is a reason. The question then becomes, what is that reason? And there are a variety of reasons why we see these behaviors. Trauma and abuse is one of them. Certainly, any animal can learn to be afraid of something that threatened or scared them. But we also have other reasons. Sometimes there's a medical reason. The dog doesn't feel well. They have an injury. Something hurts. A dog with an ear infection, you reach and touch their ear, they run away. They try to bite you. If we can address that, sometimes we can see the behavior change. There can be genetic reasons, genetic predispositions. They can be afraid because uh, they, they, they grew up with a mother who was afraid, or they grew up with a mother who was stressed. All those dogs that grow up that are bred in puppy mills or hoarding situations, those mothers are stressed, they're anxious, their puppies can demonstrate fear. Probably, though, to get to um, one of the most common reasons or causes for fear we see in dogs is the lack of appropriate socialization during the critical periods of development when they were puppies. So that sounds like something a lot of people get wrong. Unfortunately, it is, and not intentionally necessarily. Sometimes the damage is done before they even get the dog. Give us some basic tips. What can we do to help our dogs socialize when they're puppies, assuming that we're lucky enough to get them at that age? Positive experiences over-the-top, overwhelmingly good experiences. Our goal with dogs is to make them think that 
people are wonderful. Other dogs are wonderful. Men with hats and beards make great things happen. Fireworks are the best thing because cheese and chicken happens. We want our dogs to experience the world in positive ways. We want to give them multiple exposures, car rides, fabulous. They go to the dog park. Uh, they get to go for walks. Hands reaching for them mean good things. We want to give our dogs so many positive experiences that they just expect that great things are going to happen. All right, that's certified professional dog trainer Debbie Jacobs. She'll be hosting a seminar on fearful dogs in Rochester on Sunday, October 25th from 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Rochester Police Locust Club. That's on Lexington Avenue. It's at the Locust Club, Lexington Avenue, and again, that is two Sundays from now, 9.30 to 4.30. All right, I'm going to try to sneak in one more quick phone call as kind of a corollary to the piece you just heard on fearful dogs and dog behavior. Tom has a, a separate question. Go ahead, Tom. Yes, we have a uh, 14-year-old uh, Springer Spaniel uh, who in the last year or so has lost her hearing completely. Um, you can come in the house, slam the door, she doesn't hear a thing. Um, but uh, she has, um, whenever she sees another dog now, and um, she never used to be this way, she starts barking, wants to charge the dog. She's kind of a small dog charge the dog and growling and, you know, and, and just is very aggressive towards other dogs. And now she started to get aggressive towards people who come into our house. Um, and we're kind of at a loss as to what to do. Uh, thank you for the phone call, Tom. Go ahead. Hi, Tom. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. So your Springer Spaniel sounds um, a little unusual, but, but many, many senior dogs... Um, kind of start to exhibit different behavior changes as they get older. You know, I, I love the senior dogs. They're so cute. Um, but I do say to a lot of clients that I think their world is starting to close in on them. They don't yeah. hear as well. Like you said, she lost her hearing. They probably don't see as well. Um, the two main things that happen is they lose their night vision and their depth perception. And so things are fuzzier and they just don't see as well. And and they start to get nervous as they get older. The right. I don't know. I can't really explain why she's getting aggressive towards other dogs. It may just be things that are startling her. But we do. I would talk to your vet because um, we do have lots of things. I love to help these senior dogs out and maybe give them things that can calm them a little bit, take the edge off. We've got a lot of natural things we can use. But it may involve uh, referring to a, a trainer as well to just take that edge off the aggressiveness. You may just have to do some basic obedience training so that it's okay that she barks at the other dog, but she needs to stop when you tell her to stop. And, and she you are going to become her seeing eye dog and her hearing eye dog. So uh, she's going to get clingy to you. Um, but again, I would talk to your veterinarian. There's lots of uh, meds, natural and such, that we can do for those dogs. Good luck, Tom. Great stuff all hour long from Dr. Meg Brooker of Canfield Vet Dog and Cat Hospital out in Menden. Are you online, Dr. Brooker? Yes, we Where have a you? website. We have a Facebook page. Where are you online? Canfieldvet.com. Canfieldvet.com. Really helpful stuff. Thanks for, for taking the time Thank for Unleash the Pet Show this hour. And thanks so much for lish, listening to Unleashed. You can let us know what you think about the show by tweeting us at Unleashed with the hashtag Unleashed. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Unleashed the Pet Show. Or you can email us some story ideas or your thoughts, Unleashed at WXXI.org. Unleashed is on Connections at noon, the first hour of the third Friday of every month. And we're proud to do it. 
And thanks again to Dr. Meg Brooker. Thanks for listening. Short break now and Second Opinion Live is coming up next.